swear this thing is supposed to keep it from making that noise. The, that's, that's just what she does. This the entire purpose of this apparatus is so it doesn't make this noise when it moves around. Yours doesn't do it. Mine doesn't do it. All right, well, it's just mine. I've got to figure something else about mine then. Yours is popping. It it wobbles like crazy, and you can always hear it. Ugh. Hey, what's up, guys? I'm Justin. Keith, you're up. That was the slowest a dog has ever <laughs> gotten off of me. That was like a 30-second process. Yeah. And there they go. There they go. Bye-bye. <laughs> um, all right. Are we going to stay on target this episode, or do you... Is there... Yep. Something you want to start with? Nope. Okay. You know what I mean? I do. Oh, hi. Um, hi, doggy. We did. We did watch Studio, uh, the new Studio Ghibli film. Uh huh. What do you think of that? Um, the boy and the heron. The boy and the heron. The first five minutes, <clears throat> I know you were more interested in who Ma did you need to get? I needed George Kittle to get 71 <laughs> yards. And at, and before the movie started, he got exactly 71 yards. So you were in a so great So I was good. I was set. And then he finishes the game with over what I needed combined. Which is also something... You know, we we by no means are like serious sports book people, mm -hmm. but the you should see the spreadsheet I've been working on all okay. day. <laughs> how, how'd last night go for you? Uh, the same. It, I You're had the the problem I had last night is I picked Randall. His line was twenty four and a half, mm -hmm. but by the time I got to him on prize picks, it was at twenty five. Oh, so I was like, well, I'll just go with it anyways, because. If he gets over 24 and a half, he's getting 25 points, and I think he's going to go over anyways. What are the chances he gets exactly 25 points right. and he got exactly 25, 25 points, points? Which means it was basically a, a nothing, nothing for me. Yeah. But I had him in two lineups, and in those two lineups, the other guy hit. So I still won, yeah. but just not as much as I could have. Yeah. You're um, Mabel. Mabel. <laughs> Mabel's freaking out. Um, oh my god! Bye bye. The, the other thing, the other thing about your do your dog Ace, he he's not old, right? He's, he's eight. He's eight. He's middle aged. He's middle aged. He's halfway there. I don't know if he's ever not, but he's striking me more and more as a ungraceful dog. Yeah. Which is not something that I associate with dogs very mm -hmm. much. You always, or I, I would always think of dogs as like, they're pretty graceful. But Ace is kind of messy. Yes. When he runs. Very like, uncoordinated. Uncoordinated, just bounding into you and mm -hmm. things. Yes. Um, he was always that way? Uh, yeah, pretty much. Um, he loves life. 
Yeah. He loves you is what he loves. Okay. <laughs> so whenever you come over, he gets uncontrollably excited. <laughs> Which is so funny because, you know, I don't do... I, I scratch his butt. Right. Is what I do. I, yeah. I don't think you scratch his butt enough. It's a Pavlovian response at this point. He gets plenty of... He goes on a walk every day. He gets attention every day. So it's not me. He's addicted to the... To the feeling he gets when I walk in the door. Right, which is inextricably tied to you. It is you. It is me. But it's also like a self-feeding loop almost, I feel like. Yeah. Somehow. Anyways, uh, The Boy and the Heron, the theater we saw it in. So so this was like a week, less than a few days ago? A few days ago. I like that I bring it up. It was up. Christmas Day. Yeah, I feel like you, it took you this long to pull it up online and for you to probably look at a picture that no, then reminded no, no, you no. of what it is I that remember we just saw. it. It was, this, honestly, this was my plan going into it. It was Christmas Day. Yeah. Christmas night, Christmas Day night when we saw it. The Friday before Christmas, we hosted a big Christmas party mm-hmm. that involved making a bunch of food, cleaning up. That was huge. Two, huge party. two days after that, Christmas Eve, we host another dinner, make a bunch of food, clean another up a bunch. Big, big party. Chris, so Christmas Eve, then everyone leaves. We clean up. Everything gets cleaned up beforehand. Then we also had to finish wrapping gifts. Oof. So then we're wrapping gifts. Watching Hateful Eight. Watching Hateful Eight, uh, Christmas tradition. And so I don't get to sleep until like two o'clock in the morning mm-hmm. on Christmas Eve, Christmas day. I wake up at like six just because that's when I wake up. So I don't get a lot of sleep and then I'm just awake for the rest of the day. So my plan going into the movie, honestly, make sure sleep. my, make sure my lineup hits. Once my lineup hits, I'm, I'm out, I'm going to sleep. And the seats were so uncomfortable. The seats weren't. I good. could not do it. I tried my damnedest to go to sleep, and I couldn't do it because the seats were so uncomfortable. So I watched the movie. So that is the that is the lenses that I'm watching this movie through. Okay, I should be sleeping. <laughs> I should be sleeping. Yes, my lineup hit. I feel good about that, but I'm so uncomfortable, and I should be. As, I want to be asleep. Uh, so I didn't like the movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean it was fine it just it felt incredibly long even though it was an, a totally normal average size length like movie um, mm-hmm. um and it is one of those you know it's t- to me seems very similar to spirited away mm-hmm. in just everything structure story I mean, the overall story is a kid goes into a fantastical world if you, looking for if their you, parents. If you pull far back <laughs> That's enough, what I'm saying. <laughs> everything ends up looking the same shape. No, it doesn't. Know? No, this, so, there's, very, there's a lot of similarities in the structure of this story. I mean... Um, so I couldn't help but thinking about that, except, to me, this made even less sense than Spirited Away. And I love Spirited Away... And it does make sense if you're following it, if you're paying very good attention, it can seem maybe a little random and made up and blah, blah, blah. But I think it has a good through line and everything makes sense. A lot of stuff in this movie just felt like, and now we're going to do this random thing. And I'm sure there's some convoluted 
explanation outside of the world of the movie. It's based off a book, right? I'm sure the book has an explanation for it, but I didn't feel like there was necessarily explanations for everything in the movie. We, this is not, we were not planning to talk about this, so I won't belabor this conversation. The one thing I will say that I think is interesting, the book that's based off of which the Japanese title of the film is still, How Do You Live? Mm -hmm. Which is the book that he finds in the film that his mother dedicates to him, right? Mm -hmm. The book is called, How Do You Live? Right. From my understanding, it's like, that book is as close to an adaptation that the film gets to. The film is not actually adapting mm -hmm. how you live. It's like, how do you live is a book in the universe of this film that's telling its own story. Mm -hmm. um, again, I don't know. I feel like I heard somebody say that, but I thought it's interesting. And I feel like that's kind of Miyazaki's approach is anytime he's adapting something, it's not really adaptation of it. It's a a launching off point for sure. like his, his own story. But he somehow still wants to call things like by that name, mm -hmm. which I think is interesting. Yeah. So, yeah, I wasn't in the mood to watch it, and I didn't like watching it. Okay. And fair. You know, it just felt a little bit like spirited away wearing a costume. Okay. Uh, it was it. This movie was the weird old guy with the bulbous nose inside of a heron, heron, and the heron is spirited away. I mean, that's a descriptive uh, reaction. <laughs> you know what I mean? All right, sure. Is that it? Um, I mean, yeah. Bye. There's bye 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 bye. We can. I'll save the rest of what I want to talk to you about uh, for Domino's. Okay. For over pizza convo. Delicious pizza. Oh, the one thing that I wanted to say too is your your yeah. your sports book method has been working for me. Yeah. Um, and uh, what I find interesting is last night I did well because I went unders on a lot of stuff. Because mm -hmm. what you pick never works out. So I was like, reverse psychology night, mm -hmm. which also doesn't work for too long. Like, if right. I do under tonight, <laughs> everyone's going to go over. Yeah. But I, I tricked the universe enough yesterday right. that, that my unders worked out. Um, but what I find interesting is how much I'll play, which, again, I, I don't play a lot. But you think, on average, you would get a good range of outcomes. But the outcomes of people massively over come overdoing their projection is so minimal mm -hmm. based on who, on who you pick to the people who just get right at their um, expectation or below. Mm -hmm. And it just, that feels out of whack to me. Yeah. I can't think of the time, how many times we we've played uh, or put in a, a parlay and I've sat back and watched the players just, do amazing, and I never had to look at it. Like, mm -hmm. I looked at it till the second quarter. I'm like, ah, I'm good. Yeah. It's always a sweat. It's always a sweat. Mm -hmm. And, and again, you feel like on the average range of outcomes, I should at least have a few more experiences where I was like, oh, yeah, I placed that bet, and I was safe by the end of the first quarter. 
Yeah. Never happened. Yeah. Yeah, that's that was that's what happened to me last night is I I what were we doing last night? We're doing something last night or I was doing something and so I didn't check on any of my lineups until like an hour, hour and 20 minutes into the games had started. And I only played the three lineups and all of them were more than halfway to their goal. Mm-hmm. And this is like an hour into the game, except for Jan. I took Giannis rebounds and he did not have a good rebounding game. And I was like, oh, I'm good. I'm, I'm set. It feels good. That's great. I, I nailed it tonight. And two, only two of the lineups hit, and they hit, like, at the end of the game. And, right, the ones that hit, it was, I took uh, Scotty Barnes at 38 and a half over, and he finished with 40. And he was at, like, 30 an hour into the exactly. game. He was one of, he. I didn't play yours, but Scotty yeah. Barnes was one. I took, I and I did the same thing. It was like halfway through. I was like, "Oh, Scotty yeah. Barnes is killing it!" And then just third quarter, and he then was like he barely asleep. got it. And and Randall, who finished with twenty five, he had like he had six points, two minutes left in the first half. And I was like, "Oh, this, he's totally just shit the bed." And then he somehow finishes the half with eleven points, and then he does nothing. And then, like, towards the end of the third quarter, he just goes down the court and gets fouled three times in a row. (laughs) (laughs) And then going into the fourth quarter, he had 21 points. And I was like, oh, he needs four points, five points. I'm good. Five points in a quarter. And then he doesn't come in again until, like, there's seven minutes left and they were already being blown out. I was lucky he even got to 25. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I the the one thing that I like a lot are the combos. Mm-hmm. So you pick two yeah. players, and I like I like those for a few reasons. But one of the reasons why I, I'm almost feel like I'm doing a like a study, um, mm-hmm. an experiment with them, because you would think I like rebounds because mm-hmm. you'll, you'll find like the last two nights I've picked a combo where they need to come up with 15 rebounds between these two guys. And it seems like, oh, well, that's do between two. That's doable. Mm-hmm. It feels like that should give you even more of an experience of them overcoming their, their range of outcomes. Right. Rather than underperforming them if you pick the right ones mm-hmm. or barely getting it. In the last two that I've played, both of them have been set at... 14 and a half rebounds between two people. Both times my my combos got it. Both times they got they got it with 15 mm. each. Yeah. Like how how does that what are the odds of that? Yeah. You know what I mean? Pick pick two. They're both gonna get and they're gonna get at projection. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's why I like I like the football combos. And that's why I did the Kelsey Kittle combo mm-hmm. because my thought was. Yards are so streaky too, you right? Can, yeah. Yards are streaky, so I've got and the and these two guys are streaky in the sense that they can either one of them can have over a hundred and fifteen yard game, you know, and any given any given any given Sunday, right? Yeah. Uh, or I could 
they, I mean, Kittle, not so much. I think Kittle has been a lot more boomer bust, but you know, Kelsey is more or less in the 40, 50 yard range every game. Uh, but in, in football a lot, what, what I'll do if I'm doing the combos is they'll do like, uh, uh, rushing or receiving touchdown and you need either Tyree kill or some running back to get a touchdown. And it's like, well, that seems like pretty good odds uh, that I've yeah. never had one of those not hit for me. Right. So I'm sure you got to find the right one. Exactly. You, you have to, you have to, and, and I did combos and did unders and, and hit where it's like, I also like to look, it was, um, Banchero and Kuzma yeah, combining for like 48 points. And I was like, I mean, they, they could, they absolutely could. Mm-hmm. I was like, they're not going to do that mm-hmm. tonight. And they didn't, they didn't even come close. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, okay. Anyway, all right. With all that being said, speaking of gambling. Yeah. The curse. Oh, the curse. Correct. Um, is that in the sixth episode or that's in the, I think that's in the seventh episode, right? Well, there's that scene where the lady is on the no gambling list. She signed up and they still let her gamble. And you have, you know, Asher joking with the, um, not the pit boss, but the gambling commission Mm -hmm. guy. So yeah, gambling is a piece Okay, episode six. Are is, we talk? Did we talk about five? Are we talking about two tonight or just six? Six and seven. Oh, six and seven. Okay, mm-hmm. we talked about five last time. Oh yeah. Okay, so episode six is called "The Fire Burns On," which is a reference to Dougie's first TV show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what's it called? Uh, <laughs> I was going to say burn victim. There's no way it's called that. That's what the guy is. Um, yeah, I was, I was going to say burned at first sight, but yeah, it's definitely love to it. the third degree. Love to like the that. third degree. I think that's it. Um, love to the third degree. Yes, that's what it's called. Okay. So episode six is called the fire burns on. I will preface this. Uh-huh. Before we talk about both of these episodes, I feel like I might be talked out on the show. Really? I've watched, we watched both episodes, liked them both, feel exactly the same way I felt about every other episode in the series. I'm not sure what else I have to say about it. Uh, episode six is the short episode. Yep. Um, Which apparently the rest of the episodes are long. Hmm. I mean that that was something I, I saved. A, uh, someone made a comment on Reddit about it. Only thirty-eight minutes this week really makes me wish we had the whole season out at once. This feels like an appetizer, and I feel like we we've obviously talked a million times about whether or not shows should be released all at once and weekly, and we mm-hmm. both agree that weekly is best. And I think I feel like we also covered this a little bit with severance had a week where they didn't release an episode right and instead they released that ebook now one of the reasons they didn't release the episode is it was the super bowl maybe yep there was like a reason why it wasn't on it wasn't just instead of a show this week we're giving you an ebook it was yeah something else is on that everyone's going to be watching um but i was happy with that i'm happy with a 38 minute long episode and i actually came away feeling the opposite of like I'm glad that they don't feel pressure or constrained to make every episode 
44 minutes long right. so they can fit in three sets of commercial breaks or whatever. You know what I mean? Tell tell your story yeah. in however long you need to tell your story. Right. Uh, Dougie and Whitney watch a rough cut of an episode of Flip Fliplanthropy. Whitney dislikes the episode, deeming it lifeless. Dougie agrees with her, explaining that there is no conflict nor drama at the center of the show. He suggests adding some voiceovers to build up conflict among Whitney and Asher, improving the show's prospects. Whitney likes the idea and even suggests changing the show's name to Green Queen, which Dougie approves. Kind of half-heartedly, right? Did you think, or did you take his approval as as a full-throated? No, I took it one hundred percent as manipulation. Yeah, as he's he wants to get her to do something. He wants to be able to sort of control the direction the show goes a little bit more. So I'm going to give you this. Uh, uh, you know, I'm going to at least pretend like I like the name of your show for yep. the time being. Yep. Um, this was a, it was after this point that Whitney pretty much immediately I felt like flipped on Asher, right? Yeah, like that definitely seems to be the conversation that accelerated the feelings that she was already having, probably. Yeah. Now, the, the only question is, is Asher being, you know, um, group research... Uh, focus group? Yeah, be, being is, is Asher being focus grouped out of relevance the reason for her feeling the way that she feels? Or... Has she been feeling that way organically? And this is kind of bringing it to a head. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, I get the feeling that it is... Like, if the focus group loved Asher, do you think that she would be totally cool with her marriage? I think she would be totally cool with continuing to pretend like everything's totally cool. Yeah. Right? I think that this is just her exit ramp to be like, finally acknowledge this sucks. She's <laughs> a solo artist. sucks. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Again, it, it makes you wonder, though, like, what, what in her life doesn't suck like what in her life isn't a performance yeah feels like everything in her life is a performance right the only moment that's not a performance i think it's from episode seven is when she's asking her dad for 20 grand yeah. that's like the only that to me has felt like the only real interaction where she's not like putting on airs or whatever i guess you could say the scene where she's screaming at them in the car before that but he, he gives her 30 grand, right? Or 40? Yeah, he he gives her 40, I think. Don't you like, wouldn't you like to just experience that once in your life? <laughs> just have somebody throw 30 grand at you and be like, here you yeah. go. And just be like, oh, it feels good. Yeah. Indy and I are watching Breaking Bad. Mm -hmm. I definitely have had that feeling a little bit where I see his stack of money. I'm like, 
Okay. I'd like to have a stack Maybe of money I should once. learn how to make math. Yeah, well, you know, just like, <laughs> I just want to have a stack of money once. Yeah. I just want to be able to, like, pull out just a big wad of money and be like, right. this is mine. Yeah. And what were we, we were just watching where that happened, too. Does that happen in Fargo? Yeah, because uh, John Hamm gives the medieval guy a, a yeah. bag full of money, mm-hmm. and then he gives a wad of cash to that kid. At the That's beginning right. of the episode, yeah. Um, Asher and Whitney prepare to film a segment at segment at the local firehouse. During this, Dougie gets a firefighter to flirt with Whitney, which is caught on camera. Which Asher does he not notice it at all? He seems to be off in his little world. He's more worried about the chicken in the bathroom, <laughs> or is he? purposefully ignoring it or is it part of the whole fetish thing that they have established before he likes to be cut yeah. a little bit i took it that he is completely lost in this yeah he seems purse out. and this chicken thing and granted if i found a pile of chicken in a bathroom <laughs> where the soap should be <laughs> where the soap should be i think i too uh, <laughs> might be a little distracted and focused on trying to figure out how did chicken get in there? Sure. Um, also, like, meat in a bathroom. Just a, a concept that I even think makes me, like, physically ill. Mm-hmm. Something about that combo. How did the meat get there? you have any thoughts on that? Um, I mean, so it seems to imply that maybe no one goes, like, the artist shows up. Mm-hmm. And Dougie's about to go in the bathroom. Dougie's the only one who's not a firefighter. Or no, the Kara's the only one who's not a firefighter who goes in the bathroom. Right? She goes in. I think so. So, so Kara? Either her or Dougie go in. One Dougie of does not. Yeah. I remember that. I thought that she was about to, but then she doesn't. But yeah. And she's the one who gave them ham. Oh, that's true. That's a good point. Yeah. So. Um Someone also brought up, I think this might be from episode seven, but someone on Reddit said, y'all notice Kara never signed the release form. That's not it. (laughs) Uh, Ah, here it is from episode seven. Dougie asking Whitney about feelings of Asher holding her back during their interview makes me think he and Kara are definitely in cahoots. Because earlier in the episode is when Whitney has the conversation with Kara and she says word for word her marriage isn't going as well as she thinks it should be and she feels that Asher might be holding her back. Yeah, that's in episode seven, right? right? Yeah. Yeah, and... um, So maybe the chicken thing is another... Dougie does give her some chicken. (laughs) Because the power goes out before he gets a chance to like zoom in or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> really but I, analyze it. I just don't know that Dougie is that psychological. Like, sure. But I mean, he, he did bully Asher. We know mm-hmm. that. And he does come out and kind of say it is overtly aggressive with Asher when he's like, Oh, yeah, by the way, thanks for never inviting me to yeah. your uh, satyrs, right? 
to to mm-hmm. yeah whatever yeah the yeah way. he's like you know i'm jewish so he does seem to be kind of outward aggressive against asher now yeah uh asher and whitney prepare to film blah 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 asher finds raw chicken in the sink was it raw or like shredded chicken again it, it really grossed me out so it was it. raw okay. i i yeah i guess i don't remember exactly i guess i'd have the feeling of it being like the sliced ham i thought it was in like slices almost I like it was that like shredded. maybe not but can you imagine carrying raw chicken just to do yeah. that to somebody would you put it in a bag i guess you'd have to right yeah uh, he can, tr- he confronts Dougie over the event, but he states that he is not responsible for that as he would have had cameras rolling. If he was playing a prank on Asher, unconvinced Asher consults with a security guard to check footage in the firehouse. However, the video only proves Dougie's innocence as he never entered the bathroom. As a brief blackout happens due to the Seagull's newly installed system, Asher once again questions if the curse is real. I thought that was a nice touch, too, that they just got this new system already. It's just, like, Mm -hmm. not able to provide enough power to the station. Do you think that's going to come back into play at all? A fire... Oh, the the firehouse losing power? And the firehouse loses power and they don't get the alarm in time and whatever burns down. Yeah, I hadn't thought about it. Um, I have a new theory on what the curse is. Okay, and I have a question after that. All right. The curse is the show. Yeah. All right. Maybe that's already been established. Did I float that last time? <laughs> I don't or know. Something? So, but but go explain your your. Uh, uh, well, just that obviously personal. it's kind of ruining everything. Yeah, and it's it's being used to pull them apart. I mean, not that they they obviously didn't have a great relationship to begin with, but from the perspective of Ash of Asher, yeah, the curse is going to be the show. Because the curse is going to be the ultimate undoing of like everything. Right. Like it, it's playing off of the first episode where, you know, I was saying like it really gave me the feeling of what it must feel like to be a celebrity. Yeah. And have people looking at you or at least have the feeling that somebody's always looking at you. Which I think is also played out in the show itself mm-hmm. with the camera angles. Now it always looks like you're you're literally a voyeur. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, how meticulous do you feel like the curse is in what it's doing versus how much do you think it's like a mood piece? It's trying to convey a mood of, of right. dread or do you think in the end it's going to it's going to like add up where everything in it was purposeful and meaningful? So. Here's what's interesting about that, because we talked about this a little bit on the last show, I think, because there is the conversation of how purposeful is the framing of all the shots, Mm -hmm. right? 
is it just a Safdies thing where it's like they're known for having this sort of voyeuristic, amateurish way of filming things to make you kind of feel like you're spying on people? Or is it, is it a plot point where we're going to get to the end or towards the end and it's going to be revealed that yes, they've been secretly being filmed all, all these times and it's being used for something else. In episode seven, again, someone pointed this out on Reddit. I didn't notice this when I first watched the episode. There's another scene uh, where they're being filmed. They are outside behind a van or something doing something. And they're being filmed from inside of like a restaurant through a window. Mm -hmm. And you see people sitting at the restaurant tables eating their food And one of the kids, there's two kids sitting right in front of the window. One of the kids stands up and starts playing around. And then somebody, I'm assuming like an intern or assistant director or whatever, production, production guy, whoever, like pops up from beneath the window and is waving at the kid frantically to get him to sit down because he's in the shot. And so the kid sits down. Yeah. And it's a really quick little that I didn't even notice the first time I watched it. So that seems very like that is very much not just a we're shooting it this way because we like the way it feels. Yeah. There's another scene where the shot includes someone who's not necessarily in the scene. And I noticed that that person looks directly at the camera. Mm -hmm. And I remember there's that other scene from inside that lady's house out the window where she ends up looking right at the camera. So it makes me wonder, too, if they're, like, trying to signal that this camera is an actual person. Mm-hmm. Like, someone standing in that lady's house. Right. And it's totally like, just keep watching TV and then... <laughs> Pretending I'm not here. Yeah, and she just, like, can't help but yeah. at some point look over. And, and again, in another scene, a, a lady just turns and looks right at the camera. Yeah. So, again, some of that... And I feel like I could go either way on it right now. Mm-hmm. Like either in the end, it's just all kind of surrealist and it pulls out and it's like, yeah, it's 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 a mood piece. Mm-hmm. You're not supposed to like dissect it or it's going to get to the end. And it's going to be like, no, every little piece like was building to this final revelation, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, as Absher leaves for chiropractic adjustment, Asher visits Nala to give her a tetherball set. As she plays, Asher decides to test the curse by picking screws and asking her to guess how many he has in a bucket. Nala correctly guesses every time, alarming Asher. He decides to go bolder and picks a lot of screws in his hand and asks her to guess. However, she is unable to answer, scared that Asher's hand is bleeding. Yeah. Um, someone else pointed out, I mean, I guess there's obviously a lot of conversation. I've, I've had to stay away from the subreddit a lot because it's turned into people just trying to predict what the end is. Mm-hmm. Every post is, this is my theory on the finale. I, this is what I've read every review of the show. And this is the impression I get from what they're saying about, you know, the end, da, 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 da. It's like, all right, all right, guys, let's, 
Uh, so, but one thing I did notice is that somebody pointed out, oh, so there's obviously a lot of talk around is Absher dead or is he paralyzed? Well, I mean, his daughters <laughs> in episode seven doesn't seem to be right. You know, distressed that her right. father died. So. <clears throat> yeah. So that doesn't seem, and, and we talked about, about this a little bit yesterday and I didn't get any sort of feeling from it other than just like a sense of dread that the rest of the show has. Uh, but someone else pointed out on the Reddit that in one of the earlier episodes, they talk about, maybe it's Absher, talks about the house having, like, unsanitary water. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Asher goes and washes his open wound in, in the, water. the water. Maybe that will lead to something. Um. But uh, that was episode six. Yeah. Episode seven. Mm-hmm. Self-exclusion. S- at school. Oh, okay, good. So it goes right into the thing with Nala. At school, Nala stares silently at one of her bullies as she climbs a rope at gym class. Which, no way those no. kids are climbing that rope. Right? Okay. No. Whispering fall under her breath. When Nala fails to climb the rope, her bully insults her, prompting Nala to tell the teacher who simply encourages Nala to be herself. I just want to say he, again, people, I I think the the casting in the show is so Mm -hmm. great with these small little parts, like the guy that starts singing um, during the the home walkthrough. Mm -hmm. um, And now this P teacher, I feel like, there's a hundred percent how a real P teacher would mm-hmm. react. Just like start word vomiting out, mm-hmm. like eating checks mix. Eating, che- yeah, you're eating. You're like, listen, it's just about believing in yourself. Right? And it, did she hurt you? No, she didn't. Right. And then the little girl being like, and he used restroom and being like, thank God. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, yeah. Someone else. So someone made this point on the on the subreddit, and I I had never. Th- thought about it this way um i had always taken the curse stuff as solely a asher thing asher seems a lot more obsessed with it than everyone else and even more than nala now she now his wife whitney i keep no what's her name Mm -hmm. asher and whitney Mm -hmm. whitney was the one originally who made him go find the family right because she was Concerned about a curse. Mm-hmm. And he was the one who was like, no, it's not real. Yeah. So it's interesting that they've inverted. Yeah. Um, and the thing with Nala comes back around at the end, but this person said, this person's basic point is that Asher has convinced Nala that she has powers. Mm. Have you ever gotten that feeling? I mean, I guess it does play out by her being trying to convince or trying to psychically knock the girl off the rope or whatever. Right. It made me wonder where she got that. Like when it opened, I was thinking like, is this something that she does? Seems like maybe she's taking a little bit more seriously than. Yeah. Like I didn't know because she starts by cursing him. So maybe this is just what she does. Yeah. Um, but this does seem more intentional than mm. how she's described it before. Yeah. Okay. 
Um. Oh, that's the old episode. Whitney and Whitney visits care. Whitney visits care, unaware that she does not like her. Trusting her as a friend, Whitney opens up. So he she visits Kara by bringing her the racist mini she goes golf to the mini golf statue place. and then hiding, <laughs> pretending the like it's a big surprise. Very uh, uncomfortable. Now, now my my question with this is, do you feel like she was opening up because she's trying to be honest, or was she trying to manipulate Kara? Mm. Hmm. I, th- I guess I feel like it's both. I, I, because I feel like she's being truthful in what she's opening up about and what mm-hmm. she's saying, but I do think she's only doing it to get her to sign the release. Right. I think that she, it's, it's her reacting to how the relationship is going and her desperate attempt to get Kara on her side and then also to get her to sign, sign the release. Mm -hmm. And I think it shows in her willingness to go into debt, uh, even more debt with her parents. Mm -hmm. So she can get the extra money to get Kara on board. Right. And that she's willing to go $20,000, you know, deep just to get Kara to kind of like her, you know, or, to get to use Kara's artwork, which she has convinced herself is integral to her project, which I, I also like all the little things where she's like, you know, cause I had to sign one of these releases too, because they, you know, kind of look at my houses as art too, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And just her inability to be honest with herself and to allow that to sit without, her reframing it as like, but I'm super successful too. And we're friends. Mm. Like how many times she kept needing to, to insist on their friendship, yeah. their relationship. Saying friend. her, yeah. Her yeah. artistic, <clears throat> how she's an artist too. Mm-hmm. Like all of that is just her, her real self showing through. Right. Mm-hmm. Even as she's trying to be quote unquote honest or real or whatever. I took it as both like you said, but probably 60% manipulation, mm-hmm. you know, and, and desperation and yeah. 40%. Um, well, and further to that point, uh, again, someone points out, you'll notice Kara never signed the release form. She only signed the first paper, which was her contract. When Whitney brought it, brought in the basketball, Kara smiles after she seals the envelope. Someone else says, rewatching the scene, I think Whitney switched the contracts so Kara actually signs the release form. Someone else points out, there is no co- there is no consultant contract, quote-unquote, because Whitney is clearly paying Kara from her own account in cash instead of through the production company or something official. She made it up on the spot in order to get her to sign the release form for her art. So it seems like she even though Kara very obviously doesn't want her art in the show or associated with the show or her name associated with the show, only agreeing to take the consultation fee after Whitney says that she can do it anonymously, right? She's like, well, we'll need something of that. Yeah. yeah. So I think she 
they they don't come to an agreement, but I think she's like, well, not anonymously. You'll have right. to be credited somewhere. Yeah, but it seems like the running theory might be now that she secretly played her and has gotten her to sign the release form. I mean, here's the thing. If you were in Whitney's position, you wouldn't film anything without the releases, right? If I was in Whitney's? Yeah, you would just be like, we're not using this artwork. Then. Yeah, I guess probably, but I don't. that seems to be pretty common in terms of when stuff gets made. It's just kind of like we'll film it and we'll get permission later. Yeah, see, I, that seems rough like i just wouldn't have even filmed anything Mm -hmm. and i would i don't know like well didn't they i mean i guess the impression i got at least is that they she at least thought she had a verbal agreement maybe yeah well it makes me think like are you doing this because you feel something for the artwork or just for the association the Mm -hmm. friendship like you just want to be associated with this artist like i want to know how what was the genesis of her using this lady's art you know, how did she stumble upon it? How did she pick Kara mm-hmm. as the artist she, she used? I want to know. I want to see that story. Yeah. But, but yeah, I do want to say just quick shout out to her, like, silently giggling as Kara opens the door on the racist statue. <laughs> like, what an amazing <laughs> Im- image. Um. What did you make of the horse game? That's interesting. That's one of those things that, again, you, you watch it and you're just like, so big picture what it took me, it, it, it helped bring Whitney into focus a little bit. Uh-huh. So on the one hand, you have Asher, who is an, a, a bullied kid who refused to accept that he was being bullied and just built this narrative that he was being included mm-hmm. in the the game of bullying him, I guess, you know? Um, so you, you have a bullied kid who's not willing to accept that reality. And then on the other side, you have Whitney, who is just a lonely, rich girl mm-hmm. who has no real friendships and is just lonely as all hell mm-hmm. out there. So watching her, you know, number one, just be like, Oh, basketball, let's go play. Like, it's just this desperate, attempt to have connection with somebody Mm -hmm. and i definitely had felt like i could see her at eight years old just being lonely and desperate for connection not having anybody Mm -hmm. so number one i think that's how i took the horse game but i do feel like it would be hilarious if at the end it comes back in some way <laughs> like her getting care to spin five times is part of a curse that she's putting on camera. Uh-huh, sure. You know, get her to spin, spin around five times. Um, also that's like, that is like child horse. Yeah. You know, again, it made me think about her as the lonely mm-hmm. kid. Cause yeah, no spin around five times true, but okay. You know, you do that when you're, six sure you don't do that when you're 32 Uh however they old they are yeah uh asher continues attending the corporate comedy class still failing in trying to get the rest of the class to laugh the instructor decides to use asher's small penis (laughs) as an inspiration for jokes 
uh, when first of all, the teacher is wrong for that, right? Obviously. A hundred percent. The other thing too is I imagine writing a scene like that because it's so extremely well crafted and written, especially from the teacher's perspective. Mm-hmm. You have a man up there who's like bombing in front of his own class, but he's turning it always to a teaching moment mm-hmm. or whatever. And the way that he's written to kind of be riffing, but then failing and then pivoting, I just found that like so remarkable. Mm-hmm. Like when he does the Rodney Dangerfield <laughs> build up and then he like puts a picture of Rodney Dangerfield up and he's like, does anybody know who he is? And like hands go up. So it's like, yeah, they know who he was. It just <laughs> wasn't funny. Like, right. And you it, describing and explaining Rodney Dangerfield. Yeah is not helpful. Um, and then his fake build off of that one lady's prompt, which I forget what smother, it was. Mother, mother, smother. Uh, I'm, I'll am i get, you know, charged for second degree smothering. <laughs> right. I mean, that's obviously needs work, but it, it, <laughs> just the way that teacher is navigating and in the way that, yeah, he, he, does something just egregious yeah. and disgusting and wrong. And then to see him like pivot that and ultimately pin it all on, on Asher. Asher. Yeah. Um, I mean, the one thing that I'll say is like the other students who kind of shut the teacher down, I felt like they would have seen what he did there and probably commented again, mm-hmm. but apparently they didn't. And apparently the teacher kicked Asher out right mm-hmm. at the end is, is what we're seeing. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I I would say politely asks him to not come back. <laughs> well, he's like, yeah, we'll get you in with another group. Right. But he doesn't say explicitly, like, you can't come back to this thing. We don't want you here anymore. You're expelled. He just does a, like, a mealy-mouthed, yeah, we'll fit you in somewhere else. Yeah, the way he turns that, too, is just so disgusting yeah. and, and great. Um what did you think of Asher's little little joke? <laughs> There's one thing remember. I'd like to stretch. <laughs> There's one thing I'd like to stretch, yeah. My penis. <laughs> I, thought, I mean, given, given the teacher's <laughs> sure. jokes, I felt like, yeah, man. he. Yeah. Uh, when Asher begrudgingly moves forward with the joke, the other students become uncomfortable and offended, and he is subsequently kicked out of the class. Later, he watches a news report about a woman who won $70,000 at Whistling Casino, but the gaming control board took over the winnings as they considered the woman unfit to gain access to the casino. The news report shows footage of Asher laughing at the woman, (laughs) resulting in an argument with Whitney over the woman's situation. Uh, Not just laughing. Like knee slapping. Yeah. Like throwing his head back. (laughs) Um, One note I had about that. So he has this argument with Whitney that apparently he's recording. Yeah. It's revealed that he's now recording stuff. Right. He Mm -hmm. later comes back to, you know, I think Whitney's really the only one in that argument who she's kind of on the attack and says some things that are probably true. 
she says specifically something like you would never do anything good unless I made you something like that. Mm -hmm. Anyways, Asher's recording it. And then we see him later going back over the recording and taking notes. Mm -hmm. So what do you think it says about Asher that he's obviously recording an argument with your significant other? Terrible. Not cool. Just a bad idea. It's it's not going to work out how you think it is. It's not a good idea. Don't do it. Yeah. Um. But he appears to be using it not as like a blackmail, or at least not yet, or not as a way to like try and prove his point or whatever, but as a way to like improve. Yeah. And be better. Yeah. What does that say about Asher? I mean, to me, it says that it could say a few things. But one of the things I think it says is he is a construct. Yeah. You know, that there's nothing there. He is just trying to emulate actions, emotions Mm -hmm. of people to try and fit in. But that none of that comes naturally or organically to him Mm -hmm. so yeah it just it's another thing in his list but he also in his freak out moments shows you that underneath he's just a roiling kind of like Mm -hmm. volcano of insecurities and rage and even in the um comedy class Right, mm-hmm. his his outburst, mm-hmm. which is just kind of out of nowhere and weird. It's like that's what's underneath it all, and he's trying to take that and turn it into something like not positive necessarily, but like digestible by other people. You know, mm-hmm. trying to fit in. Mm-hmm. What was your what, what's your read? Yeah, I don't know. I just thought it was interesting because I think. Well, I think it also, I guess, goes hand in hand with the, like, going to a comedy class thing. Like, Asher is just overall a kind of a gross, uh, um, kind of a gross, I don't know, just doesn't seem like a great guy. You know, like, obviously the casino stuff is heinous, mm-hmm. and he's 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 very manipulative, and he's done very bad things, and he's not just this, like, sort of, like, uh, I don't know how you would say it, just kind of sort of, like, thoughtless goof. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like... Obviously, I guess this doesn't need to be said, but like taking down notes is not going to help you, buddy. No, <laughs> you're no like, exactly. You're a little bit beyond that at this point. And I mean, you just kind of got to know who you are and then go from there. You can't go from, well, I will be this, you know? Um, that kind of takes me to my big takeaway from this episode, and I wanted your your take on it. Yeah. Something that I feel like I've, always been interested in 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 my life 
personally and just as like a concept mm-hmm. is people changing their kind of personality or pushing against not just social expectations, mm-hmm. but also just like those aspects of themselves that they may or may that, that, that they may not like and our ability to do that. Mm-hmm. So I know that I've experienced that in my life. I remember being younger and just seeing people who were more like, I remember watching my grandfather Mm-hmm. who's very like silent and i was a kid who was always kind of looking for i wasn't attention seeking but i was definitely wanting connection with people you know and uh and i remember looking at my grandfather who was silent very silent mm-hmm. type <laughs> and being like, I wish I had more of that. So I would like, I remember I would sit there and say, you know what? I'm not going to talk yeah, for like this amount of time, or I'm going to force myself to like be more silent because I want to be that. I'm somebody who will like a joke opportunity will come up. And I'll just, I'll just jump into it. You know what I mean? And not think about it. And sometimes it'll be funny, but a lot of times it's not. And I always feel crappy at the end of it. So I want to be more thoughtful. Mm -hmm. Or someone who can just be witty a lot easier. And I'm like, you know what? I want to be more like that. But then there's a ceiling to all of that. Mm -hmm. Because that's not my nature. My nature is not to be silent like my grandfather. And I've told you a story before. My grandfather didn't have a rich inner life underneath that silence. <laughs> right. You know, it's not like he's growing himself. Yeah. He's just kind of shut off and continuing. It was actual shut. silence. It was actual, like, yeah. <laughs> Internally and, and externally. externally. <laughs> and he just sat there and looked cool, though. You know? <laughs> I was like, I want some of that cool. Yeah. Or, you know, Indy made a made a, a comment today about how he's not, like, quick with mm-hmm. it. And how he's like, yeah, you know, it always takes me too long to think of something. Mm -hmm. I'm like, you know, is that changeable? You know, could you be like, I'm going to be a quick-witted person? Or even if we think about in the artistic sphere, right? That there are some writers that got no schooling and they write a story and you're like, this is phenomenal. And there are people who go to school, you know, their life is mm-hmm. that program and they maybe release one book that's okay, but that's it. You know, um, like how do you navigate your ceilings, your DNA restrictions? And with both Asher and Whitney, you have like Whitney who is fundamentally like striving to be perceived as something and has some level of self-awareness, but not, enough mm-hmm. and asher who has both too much self-awareness because he knows he needs to take notes but also that kind of cancels itself out because that's not the way to address the insecurities that you have mm-hmm. you know about yourself you know what what ability like do they have any ability to change or would we say like you're screwed no this is who you are like asher you're all you're going to live and die as this awkward, uncomfortable, like 
that's just who you are. You know what I mean? Or is it like, no, you can absolutely be a different person. You can absolutely break any, you know, kind of DNA, genetic, or even just like, you know, what, what does it mean that somebody has quick wit and somebody doesn't mm-hmm. like, is that nature nurture whatever? Like, could you change that? I don't know. That's always been something though that I've thought about. Yeah. I, I, I think it's interesting because with the quick witted stuff, I mean, with anything that's like mental, it, a lot, it feels like, yeah, you're kind of stuck with the cards you're dealt. And it almost feels like if you do do all the work to become quick witted, quote unquote, um, you probably still aren't going to be funny. You're just going to be able to say something that resembles a joke faster, mm-hmm. you know? Um, the th- with like mental stuff, the thing that always comes to me is like, because I deal with depression and I've dealt with it my whole life. And I think about like, what if I, I can't get it to go away? It's never going to go away. No medication I've taken has gotten it to go away. No level of health I've had has gotten it to go away. So I think. What if I get someone to just hit me in the head really hard? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like change my brain that way. Right. Give me a concussion. You yeah. know what I mean? So it's either that, it's like you need actual brain damage to change the way you think or whatever, or you need to take like heavy psychedelics <laughs> right. and like have a trip or something. That seems to be the only way to kind of affect those things. Now, this, what Asher is doing you know, when it comes to like maybe trying to be more empathetic or trying to have better listening skills or whatever, I think that is stuff that's pretty easy to change or be perceived as normal. Like I feel like being, perce- I think that's probably also a tricky one because it's like it's it's just gonna be one of those things like an uncanny valley thing. You know what I mean? Where it's like you're gonna come off as weird, and the fact that you're trying to not be weird makes you even weirder right like it's like if you if you have to go to a corporate comedy class it's kind of like you're this isn't for you like right you're, you're not going to go to this class and then figure it out or become better or you know podcasts have really elevated a lot of improv people right it's kind of like the place where all improv people go to live and thrive is in the podcast sphere right and you're like okay did improv just enhance abilities or mm-hmm. are some of these people, they just grew up as like, yes, I study comedy. I write notes about comedy like Asher does. Right. And they went to improv class and like, I got it now. Now I'm funny. Now I know how to do improv, you know? Yeah. It's like improv or things like that seem like they can only enhance abilities. They can't right. like teach. Abilities. Yeah, I, I agree. I think the, the example I think of is Sean Clements from Hollywood handbook. Mm-hmm. Like I would imagine he's done all that. He's went through the improv classes. He's done all the, all that. But at the end of the day, I'm pretty sure he's just like a funny, quick witted guy. And he would have always been that regardless of the improv classes. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, you know, I think that I've tried to push against a lot of, and, and I do think it's a big ball, like 
we, we've talked about this before, but being raised in like a religious setting has its own, you know, kind of issues that it brings along with it. That then you have to spend your life navigating. And I always want to be like, I want to change the things I can, but I also just want to accept the thing. Like I don't have to be a completely different person. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that's where people get tripped up is if they don't like who they are, they feel like, well, I need to be completely different. It's like, no, you don't have to just change the things that you can. And I think mm -hmm. you might find yourself in a much better place or like you. Yeah. Like de depression is something that you're just like, I, I will never beat this. So I need to learn to live with it, mm -hmm. but also they're, they're going to encourage you to still push and try and change yourself. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like the whole point of living with it is not accepting that that's your reality. Right. Right. Which yeah. is a weird mm -hmm. dichotomy. And it feels like that's kind of the, the new diagnosis is like, Oh yeah, well, you have to accept it and accepting it means rejecting it. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, there you, congratulations. That's, yeah. that's what you do. Now get out of here. Right. You did it, but also you didn't. It's right. still there. Yeah. And, and, but it's like, that's, and then the, <coughs> the only better answer people have is, yeah, lose some weight. Mm -hmm. Watch what happens when you lose weight. It's yeah. like, okay. Yeah. So keep giving your brain that endorphin rush, mm -hmm. chase that feeling. And that's going to be a positive outcome to you. But yeah. And, and like you said, that's where I am wondering, you, you cycle back where people are like, yeah, change your brain, brain chemistry. But it's like, you're kind of just talking about electro thought shock therapy again, right? Like mm -hmm. that's what those doctors thought, right? Mm -hmm. We just need to change your brain chemistry and bonk you on the head. Yeah. <laughs> with electricity. <laughs> Give you a few zaps. Give you a few zaps and maybe that will re reconnect you. Fargo, maybe give yourself a nice amnesic concussion. Yeah. And then you Grab come back some electrical as, wires. as somebody not with depression. Mm -hmm. Could be. Um, Whitney has another recorded conversation with Dougie, and while she avoids saying that Asher holds her back from her dreams, she opens up a little more than the last time. This that's the scene where there she's being interviewed for she's the show. Yeah. Um, and it's intercut with Nate with Asher getting his makeup done. Yeah. And his face is all warped in the reflection or whatever, and he's just sort of staring blankly. That was a great scene. Yeah. And then it ends with him coming in and then being like, oh, we've got a close set for today. Or we don't have time for you, blah, blah, blah. But also, I kind of feel like the worm has turned with Dougie and Asher, right? He oh. also seems pretty um, hostile. Hostile towards him. Absolutely. Like, no longer wants to hang out with him, da, da, da. Like, is that scene especially. Yeah, he, he's now like aggressively going at Asher. And they and they seem to be working together to like push him fully out. Mm -hmm. Like now it seems the 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 move is Asher's not going to be in the show. Yeah, that's interesting. I I wonder if yeah, it's it does I guess it does make sense that it, it seems like he's being pushed out, but at the same time the whole idea was that there needs to be some sort of level of conflict in the mm. show. So 
But non green queen. Yeah, that's true. Maybe. Uh, Whitney is also struggling with money and even asks Paul for help. Her her dad. She continues hanging out with Kara, not revealing. Not revealing that she will pay the fee to the artists. Not revealing she will pay the fee to the artists. I don't know what that means. I don't know what that means. Back at school, back at the school playground, Nala's bully is suddenly injured while playing. While everyone checks on her, Nala just stares from afar. That was one that I had to rewind. And something that I think, again, this show does really, really well. Yeah. Is the... I watched that clip that you sent of the stage guy telling the kid to get out of the shot. Mm-hmm. And again just brilliantly executed and pulled off and the girl slamming into the wall also was like how did that what was she doing before that mm-hmm. how did she slam into the wall that hard yeah um but again i think that was like executed so well yeah um and i i again you think about how they had to set up the shots and how they have to time everything again i think before i paid attention to like how stuff is made it can feel organic but you realize none of it is mm-hmm. it, it all has to be like orchestrated into an inch of its life and getting a girl off screen to slam into a wall takes so much planning and execution um and i thought it was done really really well so yeah yeah okay uh i have two two theories about okay. the show. Do you want to hear those quickly? Love to. I just made... I don't want to read the title to this because it'll give away the punchline. <laughs> okay. I just made the connection. I'm sure I'm late to make it. That the episode six title is from the song of Love to the Third Degree. Someone posted a theory that the entire voyeur POV is from his point of view and is somehow planning to sabotage Flipthanthropy Green Queen. Likely not going to happen, but it's worth noting that they're referencing that song almost halfway into the season. So this guy's theory is that the contestant from third Love to the Third Degree is spying on them and coming back to ruin Dougie's career, I guess. <laughs> because his reality <laughs> show didn't get picked up? That doesn't make sense. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, all right, the other one. Now, this was posted after episode six. So before th- the scene we just talked about with the producer or whatever waving the kids away. The show within the show theory is overthinking it. I really believe that des- the decision to use long lenses and shoot handheld is a stylistic choice and not one that has to do with the plot. Lots of movies and shows shoot this way to give a certain feeling to the work. The Safdie's previous films utilize the same technique to give the work a certain feel. The handheld camera work really helps with the chaotic feel and heightens the viewing experience. Good time is supposed to feel like an episode of Cops. Earlier this year, Blackberry was shot with primarily long lenses and had a handheld feel. This was to add to the comedy and add a documentary feel despite the cameras never being addressed by the characters. He goes on to list a few more examples. I think the curse uses this style because of the subject matter of reality TV. Basically, oh, because it adds a level of paranoia and uneasiness 
And because this is the same style the Safdies have used in the rest of their filmography. One of the reasons I wanted to read this is because it talked about Blackberry. <laughs> and I hated the cameras in Blackberry. Okay. It was the only part of the movie I didn't like. Really? I liked the movie overall. I hated the way it was filmed. Wow. It okay. felt so reliant on this. And it felt felt less like the curse and more like the office to me. And it felt so mm. reliant on the office zoom ins of, okay, here's the joke. Zoom in real quick. You know what I mean? And it's like a sarcastic reply. I, I would, maybe I would agree with you if I hadn't watched Nirvana, the band, the show, which sure. Nirvana, the band, the show is completely handheld, but that also has the feeling of like, a third buddy just filming them goof around. Exactly. That is not what Blackberry is. Yeah. Blackberry but, very much is a movie. Yeah, but, but I mean, I I would just say I don't know that he'd be riff, ripping off the office. No, I'm not saying ripping as, off. That's just what the technique kind of is. Yeah. Refining yeah. his own technique. Maybe. Um but yeah, I, I mean again, we just talked about it. I agree with everything he's saying. But there's just too many little things throughout the show to point to it not being just a feeling type of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I, you wouldn't have people directly interacting with the camera mm -hmm. if they were just going for the feeling of it. Again, I floated a theory that then I took back. But I don't think that this theory is right. But I think it's something based on this, which was what if Dougie pitched a different reality show that got picked up mm -hmm. that is like about the making of flip flipanthropy. Mm -hmm. And he just hasn't told them that that's the show that got picked up. Um, and so, you know, again, maybe the lady is in on it too. And so he's like, call them and tell them flipanthropy got picked up and we'll, we'll keep shooting mm -hmm. our show, our real show, which right. is these people, thought they were making a show but they're but they're not yeah um again i now that i say that theory out loud i kind of like that as my number one theory um but somehow dougie could be making a separate reality show mm -hmm. about about them yeah the the last thing i'll say i will i'm going to i'm going to come back from i think the tom sharpling comment of yeah. no one can predict the end you think has run they, away with people and i think the end and and now everyone's waiting for a big twist a big reveal i i feel like it's going to be pretty pedestrian by the end of it mm. i definitely don't think that i think the internet is better at solving these types of right puzzles right than what people think I forget what, what game it was, but a game came out and people were like, oh, I think it was PT back mm -hmm. when Kojima. And they are like, yeah, there's going to be secrets in this that people won't solve for years. And right. like a lady solved all of them in like 17 hours. Yeah. <laughs> right. Because that's the way. Yeah, he are. had planned for it to not be figured out for like months or something. Yeah. I'm literally about to pee my pants. Sure. Bye bye, bye bye, bye bye, bye bye, bye bye, bye bye.